Tonight I'm going to jump into a sermon. I don't know if this is the beginning of a series or if this is only for tonight. We'll see as we go forward. But I want to talk to you about miracles and in particular receiving miracles by faith. You know, we live in a time and a season. Last week, I believe it was, I said that this is the year of miracles. And we're going to experience the miracle power of God at work in the believer's life. And, and if this is not just for the, the old believer, but this is also for the young believer. Our young people are, you know, if you're 10, 12, 15, 20 years old, this includes you. I think this is the year that it's time that we not only see revival in the church, but we see people coming into the kingdom that have not been there before. And they do so because they are attracted to what who God is. And you and I have something to offer them. Maybe something more than what we've been offering. So, I want to just stir you tonight. I was praying earlier and I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, what do you want to do tonight? And this is what He said to me. He said, I want you to open the door of expectation in the people's hearts that I can do big things, impossible things. So open up, allow your heart to be open, to be stirred in a way that you say, all right, Lord, whatever you've got, let's do it. I believe and it will be so. So do you believe in miracles? I'm so glad that you said yes so loudly. That just shaved off a whole bunch of my sermon. Now we can get into the deeper things more soon. But yes, I know that you believe in miracles and in signs and wonders. And, you know, I grew up in a church that we really, we knew that God could do a miracle, but we really didn't think they were for today. And signs and wonders, yeah, I don't know about that. You know, I thought signs and wonders were when you went on a mission trip and you made a whole bunch of sign language to someone and they wondered what you were saying. But the truth is, is there is a actual godly, by His power, signs and wonders that are still for today. I mean, you can't even be born again without believing in miracles. You understand that? You know, what about the virgin birth? That's a miracle, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. If you don't believe that, you're not born again. Plain and simple. And then the Holy Spirit coming to dwell in you. That's a miracle. How is that even possible? God can do something with His Spirit that none of us can do with ours. Put it into little pieces and give it to everyone. Right? A piece of Himself. It's amazing. You've been made the DNA of God. That's a miracle. And so, the fact that your spirit has been born again when you made Him your Lord, that is probably, I think it would be safe to say that's the greatest miracle of all. At least for you and I. And so, we believe in miracles. Otherwise, Jesus would not be the same today, yesterday, and forever. If His miracle working power is different today than it was back in the early church, then it's a lie to say that He's the same. We would have to say Jesus, the used to be Jesus, is different than the Jesus of today. But we know that's not true. So I'm going to pray over you. So just agree with me if you would. In the name of Jesus, I release waves of anointing in this house right now on you. The anointing to know. The anointing to believe. The anointing to see with spiritual eyes. Father, I ask You for revelation knowledge tonight in this house that You would stir in our heart. That You would fill us with the revelation knowledge that You are the God of all power, of miracles, and that You long to make Yourself known to the entire world. In Jesus' name. Someone say, I need it. I believe it. And so be it. In 2009, we had just gotten spirit-filled. We had 
just we're in the process of finding all the um, better things connected with salvation that we didn't know about earlier. And, um, you know, prior to that, we loved the Lord. We loved, you know, we believed that the blood of Jesus cleansed us from all sin, that we'd been made the righteousness of God. But the whole Holy Spirit side of things, we really didn't know anything about that. And we read over a lot of places in Scripture quickly or skipped them entirely because, I don't know, what is that? And so when, when the Lord came and started showing us some things and sent people to us to reveal some things, we got a hold of the Word of Truth. And it absolutely changed our life. We went from believing that maybe God is on our side to absolutely knowing He's on our side and that He's for us and that all things are possible to Him who believes. You know, before we thought, well, all things were maybe, I don't know. <laughs> right? Well, I'll give you an example. We had, um, we had gotten Spirit-filled in January. And by June of 2009, we had decided the Lord was calling us to plant a church there in our local town in Colorado. And so it is the first day that we're meeting as a church body. What had started as a Bible study in our living room um, had, had grown, and then we wound up in a situation where our church no longer um, appreciated us like they used to because of this newfangled doctrine that we'd stumbled across, right? And so now we wind up with this Bible study and, and finally we have this handful of people and they're all saying the same thing. Nobody at our church, we, we really, this is our church. And so we decided, all right, I believe the Lord's telling us, let's just meet on Sunday. And so on the very first Sunday, we're headed down there and, and also just a little bit of background because I'll tell you a number of stories tonight that ha were in this uh, time frame, this window of 2009, 2010, 2011. Um, we had just were in the middle of suffering a complete financial collapse. We ha I had had a business, I had sold it, we'd done really well, and so then we were building some apartments, and in the process, the bank froze our loans because their loans got frozen in the whole credit crisis freeze thing. And um, so, long story short, uh, work dried up everywhere, and we were in the process of losing everything. We didn't have money for groceries. We didn't have money for anything. Every bill we had was red, right? When the bill shows up in, in the mail, and it's not red yet, so you throw it away, you know you're in a desperate situation. Well, this was the case for us. And at that time, we... um we were believing God because, you know, we were finding things in the Word. We were believing God to pay our bills. We were believing God for mainly for the basic necessities, like to keep our electric on, to, to put food on the table. And there was plenty of times where we didn't know where the money was going to come for uh, to next week's groceries. And, but we never went hungry. Not once through that whole time did we go hungry. There was times we added water to the milk. You've heard us talk about that story. There's been times that we um, thought we might go hungry, but the Lord never let us down. He never, you know, He didn't forsake us. He was faithful to us. Well, in that time, we had, uh, uh, back on the way to church the very first morning, we're running a little bit behind. I'm the only one with a key. We're renting a building in town. It's the uh, community center. And um, they're doing some construction just outside of town, and we're in a hurry, and we come flying down into town. I'm speeding, and I get pulled over. It's a construction zone, so that means the fine is double. All right? And I'm already in a hurry. I'm already running late, and so now I get stopped, and I'm going to be even later, right? So he comes up. He writes us up. He gives us the ticket. We go on to church, 
And I'm going, all right, Lord, you're going to have to help me with this. And so fast forward a month or two, whenever the court date was, I go, I decided rather than paying the ticket because I had nothing to pay it with, I'll go to the court date and I'll ask the judge for mercy and I'll ask him to, because I knew that they would allow you to make payments. You know, as small, whatever number you could make, $10 a month, $5 a month, $20 a month, you could make payments for this thing. So I thought, I'll go down there and I'll just ask him for mercy and I'll make payments on this ticket. So I get in the truck and, and the town's 10 miles away. And so I get in the truck and on the way down there, I pray. And I say, Lord, I'm asking you for favor with this judge. And I would like to have this ticket cut in half. And I'll pay half of it. Um, but Lord, you're going to have to help me with this because I can't pay the whole thing. Well, I couldn't pay half of it either. But that was my prayer. So I get done praying and a couple seconds go by and I realize that's dumb. If I'm going to ask, I might as well ask for all of it. I'm the same faith will move both mountains, right? And so I literally said this. I said, Lord, scratch that prayer. Let's start over. I said, Lord, I want the whole thing thrown out and removed. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, I thank you that you'll do something like that for me. And I believed him. I drive down to town. I get into the courthouse. I sit down in the room and they call person after person after person after person and they're not calling my name. And the whole time, I'm having this scratching on the inside. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Finally, I give in because the Holy Spirit's trying to tell me, you understand? Finally, and I'm just learning to, to walk in all of these things, and I go, I better go ask someone if I'm in the right place. So I get up and I go to the door, and one of the security guys, police officers there, I said, you know, I'm here for a, a traffic citation. Am I at the right place? And he goes, no, you're not. He said, you need to go across town to this other building. Oh. Now, I don't know how it is in Pennsylvania, because thank God I've not been in that situation, but in Colorado, if you don't show up, for a court appointment like that, it is an automatic revoking of your license, which will cost you $50 to get back, even if it's a court mistake. I found that out another time. <laughs> and not only will they revoke your license, they will put out a warrant for your arrest if you miss a court appointment. And so I am way past the date, I mean the time, and I got to go you know, minutes across town to this other place. So I race out to the vehicle. I get over there. I'm like, Lord, help me. Please help. It helps that they didn't call my name yet. And uh, I get in and I come inside the room and right inside the door, they had papers. You had to sign either guilty or not guilty. Well, I was guilty. I wasn't going to try to get out of it in that way. I'd done the crime, right? And so I signed guilty and I go sit down and I wasn't sitting but a minute or two and they call my name. And so I go up and the, and the judge says, uh, Mr. Ropp, um, I see that you pled guilty here. And he's looking at his papers. And so he calls a police officer over that was standing at the side. And they, they whisper and talk and there's shuffling of papers. And they talk some more and more shuffling of papers. And finally, the police officer goes back over along the wall. And the judge says, Mr. Ropp, um, we are going to just toss this ticket out completely because there's been a filing error. And I said, praise the Lord. <laughs> Did I deserve that ticket? Yes. I'd committed the crime. I'd sped. It was in a construction zone. I remember going on Facebook. And this was when I was still discovering that some people just don't like miracles. 
And I put on Facebook this praise report about what the Lord just did for me. And someone comes on, another believer. And it's like, what? You trying to say that we just don't have to suffer the consequences of our actions? I'm not trying to say anything. I'm just saying, thank you, Lord. Right? This is what He did for me. And the Lord will... All things are possible to Him who believes. And if we'll just ask Him, a lot of times we disqualify ourselves simply because we don't ask because we go, well, I deserve it. Right? I, I did it. I deserve it. It's, it's what I get. But you know what? Let's ask for mercy. Go to Mark 16 with me. In Mark 16, let's look in verse 9. I'll begin reading. <clears throat> this is the story of... Well, it's the Great Commission, but in Mark's account. It says, Early on the first day of the week after He had risen, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom He had driven seven demons. In verse 10, Mark 16, she went and reported to those who had been with Him, and as the, that would be the disciples, and as they were mourning and weeping, yet when they heard that He was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. So they have an eyewitness, but they don't believe the witness. Verse 12, after this he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country. And they went and reported it to the rest who did not believe them either. Well, these were the two guys on the road to Emmaus. Remember that story? They're out walking. They're all down in the dumps about this. And this stranger walks up beside them. What are you guys so gloomy about? And so they tell him the whole story. And this guy just like opens the Scripture to them and just explains, man, their hearts are burning within them. Revelation. That's what's going on on the inside of them. And they sit down to break bread with this guy and when he blessed the bread, their eyes are open. They realize who it is and he disappears from their sight. I don't know if they finished a meal or not, but it says that same night they jumped up and ran back to Jerusalem, which was seven miles away, to tell these the rest of the disciples what had just happened. And so they have uh, several eyewitness reports now and they're not believing any of it. Let's, you, let's, let's make sure you and I are not that way. That we believe. And that we don't have to, be, have to see something with our eyes to believe it. With our natural eyes. Verse 14, Later He appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw Him after He had risen. Then He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. So tell them the good news is what he's saying. Take it to everyone. Verse 16, he makes an astounding statement. He says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That whoever includes everybody. The Gospel, the good news, is for everyone. Don't ever let someone try to tell you different. People talk about predestination and different things like that. Well, we've all been predestined to spend eternity with our Lord. Whether we choose that or not is a completely different story. And um, he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. This word accompany, um, the King James I think says follow, they'll follow, but the word means that they'll go with you. They'll be at your elbow. They're accompanying you. They're near you. These signs will accompany those who believe. Now who's he talking to? He's talking to the disciples. If, he, if this was only for the disciples, he would have said these signs will accompany you guys when you believe. But he didn't. He said these signs will accompany those who believe. Talking about people that do not yet believe. You and I. Right? Those who believe. What are they going to do? 
What are the signs? In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. Let me make a a comment here before we go into verse 18. You know, we don't follow or we don't chase signs. Because if you follow or chase signs, you'll get into deception. What he said here, he didn't say follow and chase signs. He said the signs are going to chase you. They're going to follow you. They're going to accompany you. So it's not our job to run to wherever the latest signs are happening. It's our job to go out and the signs will come with us as we go. Remember, go was the command. So it's in, in obedience that the signs are going with us. In fact, in, in Matthew, uh, Matthew 24 and in Mark 13, both, both cases, Jesus talked about false messiahs. You remember that? He said, uh, false messiahs, false prophets will rise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. If possible. It doesn't say that the elect are going to be deceived. It says, if it were possible, they would be. In other words, it's going to be pretty deceptive. The signs and wonders those guys are going to be doing. And, and the elect here is talking about you and I, the believer. It's not talking about um, the Jews as in Jerusalem Jews. It's talking about born-again believer Jews. You and I. Second Thessalonians, listen to this one. I'm not going to give you a reference, so just listen. It says, the coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working. What do we know about Satan? He's the father of lies. Alright, so everything he does is based in that realm. It's out of the realm of, of deception and lying and all of that. So the coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders. False miracles, signs, and wonders. Not the real deal, but it's pretty deceptive. And it says, with every wicked deception among those who are perishing, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth so and so be saved. So, the love of truth will protect you. Alright? But don't go chasing signs and wonders. Allow them to chase you. Verse 18, so what are they going to do? In my name, they're going to drive out demons. They're going to speak in new tongues. 18, they will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. <clears throat> the snakes that he's talking about here is not actually that whole snake. You know, there's churches that have snakes in baskets and they bring them around and you pick them up and prove your faith by them not biting you. Well, good for them, but I'd go to that church service maybe with a shotgun. I don't know. Show you my faith by my works. Bam. See, they don't bite me. No, he's not talking about that kind of snake. Now, we know that Paul got bit by a snake and it didn't hurt him. So there is protection. And the protection, you apply for the protection as you go. Paul was going and the protection applied to him. But these snakes that he's talking about and the drinking of anything deadly, if you, um, you don't need to turn there, but I'll give you the reference. It's in Luke 10, verses 17 through 19. It was after Jesus sent out the 72 and the 72 come back and they're like all stoked because they're saying, um, man, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And they seem shocked at this and they're surprised and they're excited about it. And Jesus said to them, he says, yeah, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. 
So he watched the fall of the top evil guy. All right? Then he makes this statement. Look, I have, so is he talking about Satan? Is he talking about things connected to Satan in this context? They're talking about demons and about Satan. Evil spirits. That's the context. They're excited. Demons submit to us. He goes, yeah, I watched Satan fall. And then he makes this statement. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. So this snakes and scorpions, he's referring to devils, demons, evil spirits, their things. Alright? He's not talking about trying to prove anything by picking up a snake or a scorpion or a spider. And so here, when he refers to picking up snakes, well, earlier he'd also referred to snakes as evil spirits. So we could say it a different way. They'll pick up snakes. They'll pick up devils. And these things won't be able to hurt them. They can go into the devil's den and be unharmed. Because they have authority. Those who believe. <clears throat> Let's see verse 19. So the Lord Jesus, after speaking to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out in obedience to what He'd said and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the Word by the accompanying signs. There it is again. They preached the Word and the signs were right there at their elbow. The accompanying signs. Notice that the Word came first. They put a priority on the Word. The telling of the good news. And the Lord worked with them. He went out with them. You know, Jesus isn't out preaching the Gospel on His own. He works with you and I as we go. Let's go over to John 20. We're still talking about miracles. <clears throat> Casting out demons. Laying hands on the sick. Speaking in tongues is a miracle. Right? The fact that the Lord would speak or give, give us that we can speak by our Spirit and pray in the Spirit things that are mysteries to man but known to God. That's amazing. Look in John 20 and verse 24. Thomas. You ever hear of Doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas. Thomas called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Remember, he came into the room when the first time he wasn't with them. So he has a, he has ten other disciples now telling him, "Hey, we saw Jesus," and he's like, "I don't believe it." So the other disciples were telling him, "We've seen the Lord," but he said to them, "If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe." A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then He said, Thomas, put your finger here and look at My hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into My side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Don't be faithless. Believe. Believe the report. See, you and I, when it comes to the good things of God, when it comes to the salvation story and all the things that are connected with salvation, none of us were alive back then to see it firsthand. We can only believe the reports that are given to us and that we read in His Word. Alright? So we're going to choose to be faithful, 
not faithless. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. See, now he believes. Jesus said, Because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. It is better, it is better, blessed, more blessed, to believe even though your natural eye doesn't see it. Jesus performed, how do you like this? Many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in His name. If you jump over to chapter 21 and you look down in verse 25, it says there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the world itself could contain the books that would be, could be written. So there is a lot that we have not heard. I suppose it's going to take some time to explain it all to and tell us the stories once we get there and once we're in His presence. I mean, Ephesians says that it's going to be through the ages that He reveals His glory to us. Probably some of that's going to be all the times the Lord helped you and you didn't realize it. All the repercussions of things you did obeying Him that you never saw the result. But it affected this, that affected this, that was life-changing over here for, you know, for that person. Anyway, there's... Let's just put it this way. All the books that the world could not contain all the books. I mean, I have a lot of books in my library. I know some of you do too. But the whole world? I mean, that's a lot. So let's just make this point. What's here in this little book, this small book, very limited real estate in this little book, we need to pay attention to what was written because it was given for you and me. It was put there on purpose for a reason. So let's not just dismiss it lightly. In 2 Corinthians, we're, we're talking about believing. Not having to see it to believe it, but we believe it first, then we'll see it. In 2 Corinthians 4, we were singing tonight about something that Paul said. You know, where he said, you know, we're crushed, but not destroyed. We're knocked down, but not out. All those different things. Well, later in the chapter of chapter 4, he said in verse 16, after he'd made this list of things that were going wrong, he said, therefore we do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. He's calling all, he's calling the devil's best efforts momentary light affliction. But that's not a saying the devil's putting up on his refrigerator. Because he's just putting it right in his eye. And it's nothing. It's momentary. It's light. Verse 18. He makes a statement. This is where I wanted you to look at. We do not focus on what is seen. Like Thomas was. But on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. Hebrews 11 says this, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Alright? It's the confidence, being confident, being convinced of what you do not see. That's what faith is. Because once you see it, you no longer have to have faith for it. It's there. It's in front of you. But it's when you don't see with your natural eye that you have to believe it exists in a realm that your natural eye cannot see into. So we call that our spiritual eye. Our spiritual eyes need to be open and looking beyond the natural. I've had three observations in my life that I've noticed 
are usually present when I experience a miracle. Three things that seems to be a pretty consistent thing in my life, that when I experience a miracle of any kind, these three things were there. The first one is desperation or great desire. When I was just absolutely beyond my own ability, just desperate, I, I could not help myself. I didn't have a plan B or C or D. You know, that is very often what ruins our faith is our, our plan B, C, and D. I'm not saying there's a problem with plan Bs, but the issue is, is that we know I can go do this. And the other side of it is, is why should the Lord do something for you that you can do for yourself if there's a plan B? See, what we would like to do is just be lazy. Lord, hand it all to me. I mean, you don't do that with your own children. If they're able to do something for themselves, you don't do it. I know you don't. I've watched your children sit and eat. As teenagers, they're all feeding themselves and you're not feeding them anymore. You're not shoveling the food in, you know, because they can do it for themselves. Now, if they couldn't do it for themselves, would you be willing to? Of course. But yet, we would think it was ridiculous if our children, if our 12-year-old would be like, Dad, you have to feed me. Well, feed yourself. One of my food's here, but oh, dear Dad, please feed me. Put it in my mouth. Just do it for yourself. Right? And, but this whole, it breeds laziness. And so a lot of times we're asking the Lord to do things for us that we can simply do ourselves. And let's not do that. Let's do what we can for ourselves. And there, there is something to be said about using your faith for things. I'm not saying that you can't ever do that. I, I believe God for books that I could have bought for myself. But I told the Lord, I'd like to have that one from you. I'm buying plenty of other books for myself. And then the Lord brings that book along and has someone give that book to me. I've had that happen a number of times. Um, so I'm not saying that you can't ever believe God because we'll talk about this later, but He gives you the desires of your heart. I'm talking about don't get into, well, I just want God to do it for me so that I don't have to. Because that's lazy and God doesn't reward lazy. He rewards faith. Alright, so I'd find number one is these three things, observations, was number one, I'd be very desperate or I'd have a really great desire for something. Number two that I would see happen in my life is I would find the Word of God concerning my situation where it spoke to my situation. I would find the Word of God. And then number three, I would speak to my situation with that Word that I'd found and then I'd act accordingly. And I would see miracles happen in our life. And this going back to number one, great desire or desperation. In other words, being beyond my own ability. When I find myself in a desperate situation, the thing that I usually result end up coming up with is He's my only source. Right? He's, he's the only one who can help me. He's my source. I have to look to Him to be my deliverer. And that engages something. If you see the Lord as your source and you are a person of faith and a person of trust and a person of confidence in the Lord in His character, that that pulls something out of you. And let's go over to Luke. Luke 18. We'll see. In Luke 18 in verse 1, it says, He told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. Pray always and not give up. Look at your neighbor and say, pray always 
Don't give up. Verse 2, there was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people. This is the judge's own words. I don't fear God. I don't respect people. Yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. I have a question about this widow. Would she continue to come if she didn't believe she was going to get justice? No. She had faith. Even though it was misplaced in the judge, she had faith that if I go again, this time it will be granted to me. Because if she didn't believe she was going to get what she was asking for, she wouldn't be wasting her time. She'd be doing something else. But she thinks it's going to make a difference if I go and ask again. If I go present myself to this this unjust judge again. In verse 6, the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge says. And then He asks a question in verse 7. He asks two questions. first question is, will not God grant justice to His elect who cry out to Him day and night? Will God grant them justice? Those that cry out to Him day and night. Question number one. Question number two. Will He delay helping them? Is He going to be slow to help them? He answers both questions in verse 8. I tell you that He will swiftly. He's going to be fast and He's going to grant them justice. Swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth. That kind of faith. Faith that refuses to be denied. Faith that believes it receives. She had to believe that she received else she wouldn't have kept going back to Him. You know, if you if you are in a desperate place and you're needing a miracle, you're needing help from the Lord, you're needing... You know, there's many different kinds of miracles. Alright, tonight I'm just lumping all, all miracles together. You know, there's miracles that are is a gift of the Spirit. There is miracles that are answers to prayer. There's miracles of healings. There's in all kinds of miracles. But right now, I'm just saying miracles in a very generic term. When we were, one of the times that we were in a desperate situation, you know, I said we would find the Word of God where it applied to our situation. Then we would speak it to our situation. We'd ask the Lord for His help. We'd believe we'd receive it. And then we'd act accordingly. Well, during this time that we were in Colorado and, and in such financial hardship, we were in the process of we'd pretty much lost everything that wasn't nailed or screwed down to the floor. And, uh, but we were still in our house and that was in the process of being um, turned over or, or repossessed by the bank. So one day, the sheriff shows up at our doorstep and he says, uh, he gives, he says I, I really don't like my job, but this is what I'm supposed to do. Here's a letter for you. And he gives us a letter, and in the letter it says that we have 30 days to get out of the house. Now, <clears throat> he says to me, he smiles and he goes, now, just between you and I, you have longer than 30 days. The letter says 30 days, but it's, it's at least twice that long. And okay, well, thank you for letting me know. And so, we're in the meantime, we're saying, help, Lord. Right? Well, 30 days goes by and there's a knock on the door. And it's the sheriff again. Gives me another letter. And he says, okay, this time it's 30 days again. He said, now this time it's for real. 
and uh, so you'll have to be out in 30 days. I said, okay, sir. I said, what happens on day 31 if we'd still be here? He said, well, then we would come physically move your things out into the yard and you and lock the door behind you. I said, okay, well, it's not going to come to that, but thank you. And um, he goes home and we're saying, all right, Lord, help us. Because we didn't have any money to rent a place. We didn't have any money. I mean, we just didn't have money for groceries, you understand. And so we're asking the Lord for his help. And I decided, well, maybe I could um, rent this house from the bank whom we had defaulted on the loan with, Wells Fargo. Maybe they would allow us to rent the rent. I know it's a silly thought. The one that you didn't pay the debt to originally is going to now rent the house to you. Yeah, right. But maybe they would rent this place to us and let us stay here because we have nowhere else to go. And it's not like someone's wanting to move in or anything. The house is just going to be empty. And so I call um, into Wells Fargo to this letter thing that I'd gotten from them. And they send me up the chain of command until finally I'm speaking to this lady who is one of the decision makers. And I tell her what I'm looking for is, is it possible? Could we rent this house? And she's, she's like, absolutely not. That absolutely will not happen. And what we need is for you guys to be out in 30 days. Well, I understand that, but I would like to rent the house. She goes, it's not going to happen. And um, so I just I got her got her email address and mailing address, and I draft up this letter stating the hardship that we'd been in, stating that I believe that renting this house would be beneficial for them because you know I quoted the statistics to them. I don't remember the statistics right now. But the statistics are that a house that's lived in sells a certain percentage sooner than one that's empty. I said, and with us living in the house, you know, I built the house. I know the house inside and out. Anyone who's coming and wants to buy the house, I can tell them what they want to know about it. We'll keep the place looking nice. We'll keep it trimmed up. And it'll, it'll sell sooner for you guys with, it'll help you guys to have us in this house. And, um, I send this thing to her. She calls me and she goes, I don't know what you're thinking, but this is just not even in the realm of possibility. Now remember, 30 days is coming up, right? It's going, it's right around the corner. And I tell her, I said, ma'am, I I know it's ridiculous and you have no reason to think otherwise, but I'm just asking you, would you please, she said, would you please consider my request? And she goes, you know, I'm not really the I'm not really the one to decide it would be our board but they've never done something like that before and I just know that it's not it's not even in the realm of reason. So I said would you please ask them. What's well, not going to do any good. I understand that's how you see it but would you for me please ask them. Okay. She called me back like the next day and just like I told you there's no way. And I said well it would help you guys. So we've already talked about this. We went round and round like this for a couple of days. Finally, I convince her because I'm the persistent widow. She's tired of dealing with me. Finally, I convince her to take my letter and present it to the board again. She goes, well, all right, fine. Tomorrow we're having a board meeting. Now, this is the high ups in somewhere in Wells Fargo. This is not in your local Wells Fargo in the town. This is big city somewhere. She goes, tomorrow we are going to, they're going to have a board meeting and I'll present your letter and request to them again. And they're going to tell you no. I can tell you that right now. Um, but I will because you keep asking. So like in a two days, she calls me back. She says, Mr. Rock, 
you're not going to believe this. She said, what? She said, for some unexplainable reason, they decided, yeah, they would rent this house to you. They have never done this before in the history of this company. I said, praise the Lord. She goes, I, I don't even know what to say. I just, this is, this is ridiculous. And um, she says, Our, we'll put you in touch. We're going to get a rental agency to handle it and you can talk to them. Well, okay, so I've stepped out of the boat. I'm out on the water now. And I know now we're going to have to talk rental price. I put them through all this grief and now we have to talk about something that I don't have, money. So it's a day or two later. Now remember, this 30 days is next week. It's a day or two later and um, this guy calls me and he says, hey, I'm out of Denver. I'm this rental agency place, whatever. And Wells Fargo says, you want to rent this house? And uh, is that correct? I said, yes, we do. He said, well, the going rate for that house in that area is like $1,300 a month, which is true. And um, he said, so that's going to be the price of the house. And I said, okay. I said, well, I can tell you right now, I can't do 1300 He goes, well, that's the fair market price to rent that house. I said, I understand. That is. It really is. I just can't do that. He goes, okay. Um, let me look at this again. I'll call you back tomorrow. He calls me tomorrow. He says, okay, uh, I looked at this and I can bring it down to 1100 I said, yeah, that's not going to work. So, well, do you want the place or not? I said, yeah, I'm going to rent the place, just not for 1100 he goes, well, that's the price. I said, I understand. I said, and we'll rent the house, but 1100 is not going to work. He goes, well, I'm going to be coming all the way from Denver, and we're five hours from Denver. He says, I'm going to be coming all the way from Denver, and I don't want to waste a trip. Are you going to rent this house or not? I said, yes, we're going to rent the house. Just come. He goes, okay. So uh, we set a date for like in a day or two, and... and um before he shows up, he'd text and said he was about at the house, maybe 15 minutes away. And Jen and I, we grabbed hands in the kitchen and we agreed. And we said, Lord, we, we're asking you for favor with this guy and for $800 a month rent in this house. And we thank you for it. We believe that we receive it. It's ours. You said whatever we ask in your name, it'll be done. And so it's ours, $800 a month. And um, pretty soon there's a knock on the door. He comes in and, and sits down at our table. We begin talking about the things of God and because he knows that I'm a pastor. And so he, oh, he loves his church over in Denver. And we, here he goes to Spirit-filled church. And so we're talking about miracles and all kinds of things, right, that God is doing, how amazing God is. And so immediately it put me in a rapport with this guy, right? So now we get to talking. And so pretty soon he pulls out the contract. And he goes, you know what? Um, and I, I hadn't mentioned money at all. He goes, you know what? Um, I know we were talking the other day about 1100. I'm going to just mark this down to 850. Now, her and I had asked the Lord for 800. Did you know that usually when you ask the Lord for something, you'll have a distraction to try to get you to agree for something different, to settle for less? Well, in this case, he goes 850. Well, he's being extremely generous. At this point, I feel like a heel saying no because it's way worth more than that, right? So <laughs> I said, you know, 850 is still high. Um, is there anything you could do to make it less? Man, he just doesn't know how he could. Um, he just doesn't know. 
And so I said, uh, well, I said, don't, you're not going to go home without a signed contract. I'll sign your contract. And, um, but could you, could you check something somewhere? You know, is there a way to get it a little less? And he goes, uh, maybe. So he erases the number. And at this point, and I signed the paper. So I've signed a contract with a blank spot at the price of our house. So he could write in 1300 if he wanted later. Right? He has a signed contract. He goes on his way. He said, I'm going to look at some comparables and um, I'll get back in touch with you early next week. Well, early next week, I hear nothing from him. The days click by. And finally, like we're a day away from the sheriff's going to show up. And um, so I email him and I say, hey, what did you come up with? And he goes, oh, um, sorry, I forgot to get back to you. Uh, the price on your house is going to be $500. Again, praise the Lord. So we, we rented that for a number of months. And three months until they had a buyer for it. It worked exactly like we told them it would work. It helped sell the place. People that bought it, they still live there. And but the Lord did something for us. Notice that we were desperate. Notice that we found we and I didn't tell you about all the scriptures that we found about him meeting our needs and that whatever we ask and, and scriptures about favor and all these different things that we were standing on and believing for. And yet when we took that uncompl took that took a stand where we just weren't willing to budge off of it. The Lord came through above and beyond all that we could ask or think. We didn't ask for five hundred. We'd ask for eight hundred. You know, I said we'd be desperate. If you're desperate, if you have great desire for something, allow that to propel you to the Lord. Allow that to get you into His presence, into His face. And then the next thing that you have to do is you've got to find what He says about your situation. What is the Word regarding my situation? The Word that speaks to my situation. And why is this important? Because you're finding what, out what God's will is for me. And if you can find out what His will is, you can be assured of an answer. See, in 1 John 5, in verse 14 and 15, it says, this is the confidence that we have before Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears what we've asked Him for, we'll have what we've asked Him. So if you're asking according to His will, He hears it and gives it. So this is why it's important. If you're in a desperate situation, is find the Word of God regarding your situation. And you say, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't see where the Word of God applies to a rent house. True. It doesn't say the number of money that you should spend on rent. But we've got loads of verses about what, whatsoever we ask the Lord in His name, He'll give to us, right? We've got all kinds of verses about Him meeting our needs. We've got all kinds of Scriptures about how that with faith, all things are possible. So we took those Scriptures and applied them to our situation. You know, Isaiah in Isaiah 55, you remember the Scripture where it says that his word is like the rain that comes down and soaks and saturates the ground and seeds germinate and sprout and grow. And then he says, this is how my word is. That when I send it from my mouth, it'll do what I've sent it to do. It'll accomplish what I please. It'll fulfill the purpose I've sent it to. In fact, the Lord said to Jeremiah, he said, I watch over my word 
to accomplish it. So if you can find the Word of God regarding you and your situation, then you've already got your answer. You just have to put your faith, believe that it's true. Remember what F.F. Bosworth said in, in the book, Christ the Healer. Maybe he said it in some of his other books. But faith begins where the will of God is known. If you do not know the will of God for something, it is absolutely, categorically impossible to be in faith for it. You're just in wishfulness. I wish it were so. But to be in faith, that's something entirely different. You have to know what does God want with this. Turn over to 1 John 5. I want you to see something here. We're talking about finding His Word in regards to your desperate situation. 1 John 5 verse 3 says, For this is what love for God is, to keep His commands. And His commands are not a burden. Turn to your neighbor and say, His commands are not a burden. They're not heavy. Why? I'm going to ask now. Why are His commands not a burden? Why are they not heavy? The next verse tells us. Because everyone who's been born of God, or we could say whatever is born of God, conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. When you believe what the Word of God says about your situation, that is world's conquering ability inside of that. Let me say it a different way. The Word of God carries inside of it the empowering grace to do it. That's why His commands aren't a burden. That's why they're not heavy. Because if He told you to do something, if He's given you His Word for something, He put the power in the Word to be able to do it. So it's not an empty command. So that it doesn't return to Him void. The power is in His Word. Tell your neighbor that. You know, the Lord told me at that time, we had um, we were going to have special meetings. We had come in here to meetings in Lancaster at Church of the Word. And at a picnic, um, there was a minister there from Scotland named Levere Sofer. And uh, Pastor Dale asked Lavere if he would come to Colorado and minister to our small group out there. And so when I went over and sat down at the uh, picnic table with Pastor Lavere, he says to me, he says, hey, I feel like the Lord's telling me to come out and minister to you guys out there in Colorado. And when he says that to me, he wanted to know, is that okay? And immediately on the inside, I heard the Lord say, yes, and go pick him up. And so I said, Sure. And he goes, well, I'm flying into Denver. Could you come pick me up? And I said, yes. Now, Denver's five hours away. It's 300 miles, so 600 miles round trip. And um, you've heard me tell you again and again how we didn't even have money for groceries. At this particular weekend, we had $24, I believe, in our possession. And we were just out. Everything was red. Okay, We were still in our house. This is before the house was sold. And um, so Levere shows up. And uh, or, or before he shows up, I'm going, how am I going to obey the Lord? He said, go, pick him up. It's 300 mi- 600 miles round trip, and I've got $24. How am I going to go over there and pick him up? And I thought, well, you know, the money's going to come in. God will provide a way. There's still weeks away. It's going to be fine. Well, finally, the night before it's time to go is when I'm standing here with $24. And I'm like, well, I don't know. But I'm going. 
Either the Lord's going to keep my tank from running out of fuel, or He's going to send someone to the pump to fill up my vehicle. He's going to provide. He said to go. So therefore, see, I'm desperate. I've got the Word of the Lord on the situation. And I'm putting the third thing into practice. I'm speaking to my problem. So therefore, I'm going to go and the Lord's going to meet my needs. About 10, 10.30 that night, I get a text from a friend and he says, hey, are you still going to pick Levere up tomorrow? Yes, I am. He says, hey, do you have money for gas? And no. He says, well, I'd like to cover that for you. Can I bring a card over that you could use? Praise the Lord. So he brings, he goes by real early in the morning. I'm leaving early in the morning, but he went by like at four or something in the morning and dropped it off in my garage. So I go out the next morning. Sure enough, here's this car. I go over, I pick Levere up. We come back. I still got $24. And, um, we, we are now going down to church and my vehicle needs fuel. All right. And so I thought, well, I'm going to, this is maybe the second night of meetings. I thought, well, I'll put this $20 in. And so I pull up to the pump and the visiting minister, Levere, gets out and says, I'm going to put gas in your car. And I said, now why would you do that? He said, well, because, because I want to. I said, yeah, but that's not right. We're supposed to be blessing you, not the other way around, so get back in the car. And he goes, well, if I get back in the car without filling this tank up, I'll be disobeying the Lord, so you better let me fill this tank up. I said, well, if you put it like that, okay. So he fills the tank up. We're on the way to church. So I still have $24. And I get down to the church, and so I put the $20 into the offering that we were taking for him. And um, we get home that night. Now, we were just a small group, you know, I don't know, maybe 20, 15, 15 to 30 people. And um, that night, and counting the offering, I mean, it's like just over $200. The total for like the three, four days, all of us were like in a desperate place. And I'm going, this is horrible. This guy's all the way from Scotland. Now, he told me in the beginning, I'm not coming for money. You don't even need to take an offering. All these things. But of course, we're going to take an offering for him. But it's like 200 and I don't know, 18, 19, 20 dollars, something like that. And I'm standing in my office seeing this and I'm feeling horrified about it. And I'm saying, Lord, you have to do something about this. And the Lord says to me, put in the $4 out of your pocket. No, he said, put in all the money in your pocket. Well, it's $4. And so I began to argue with the Lord because that $4 would have bought a gallon of milk and maybe some eggs. Or diapers, yeah. I mean, we were like, we were in need, right? And so I have this short argument with the Lord until I realized that I'm really on the side of stupidity here because I'm arguing, first of all, with the Lord. Secondly, over $4. And if $4, if the Lord has a plan for that $4, He certainly has a better plan than I could have for $4. So absolutely. So I put it in and made it $200 plus $4 now. And still wasn't much. And um, (laughs) now we had no money. Okay, Nothing for groceries, milk, anything. The next morning I'm on a a conference call with some other ministers and one guy goes, now we made it, uh, uh, we were very, very strict with ourselves, Jen and I, that we did not tell people our needs. Because some people get their needs met by telling other people their needs. That way you do something about it. And we knew that if the Lord is faithful to His Word, we can put our pressure on Him and not tell a soul, and He'll deal with people. And that's how, how we just did it. And so we didn't tell people our needs. Nobody knew that we had nothing. right? So that, except that the Lord will tell on you when you do things like that. So the next morning I'm on a conference call and one of the ministers says, 
hey, uh, the first thing he said when I answered the phone, he says, hey, I got a personal question for you. Uh, yeah, okay. He says, uh, do you do you have money for, actually, he said, how much would you, how much is your grocery budget for a month? Uh, well, uh, we don't really have one. Why is that? I said, because it's hard to keep a budget when there's nothing to put in it. <laughs> and he goes, okay, well, if you had a budget, how much would it be? Um, so I gave him a number. And he goes, uh, do you have any money for groceries? No, we don't. He says, okay, well, I'll put a check in the mail this morning for you. Well, that's great. But he lived all the way across the United States, and it's going to take four days for that to get here at least. And then because we have nothing in our bank account, when we go to put that check in, they're going to put like a seven-day hold or something crazy on it like they do when you're in those situations. And so we're, we're a week and a half away from groceries. So thank you, Lord, for meeting my needs, but faster. <laughs> and that's what I said to the Lord, not to them. That afternoon, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, there was a knock on the door. And it's somebody that, again, did not know the situation. And they had, was it 400 200 How much? $200 gift card to Walmart. Now, you can get pretty much anything at Walmart, especially when you're in a bad place like that. It, it's, that was God providing for us. So, he told us to do something. We were desperate. We found His Word regarding our situation. We obeyed His instruction. We spoke to our situation. And He met our needs. Go to Acts 14. In verse 8, this is the story of that guy um, that was lame from birth. He'd never walked. And he's sitting listening to Paul speaking. So a lame guy, never walked. Hearing a message from Paul. And it says in verse 9, after observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed. See, what's happening right here is finding the will of God regarding this guy's situation is bringing faith to him. Finding what God wants for me is causing faith to well up in this guy that's sitting there. Because it says Paul looks at him closely and he sees that this guy has the faith to be healed. Now, interestingly enough, he's full of faith, but it's not activated. He's still sitting there lame. Full of faith, but lame. Still hasn't done anything for him. And so that brings us to the next part. See, once you find the Word of God for your desperate situation, now you have to do the next thing, and that is, we call it releasing your faith, or sending your faith, or activating your faith. By speaking to the situation and acting on it. Release your faith by speaking to the situation and then acting on it. So what happens? In verse 10, Paul says in a loud voice, stand up right on your feet. And he jumps up and he starts to walk around. Now we see his faith put into action. Right? Full of faith, now healed. You know, when calling... You know, God called Abraham a father of, of many nations when Abraham was 90 years old and had no kids. And he changes his name. He goes, Abram, we're going to change your name. But we're going to change your name to Father of Many Nations. Abraham's like, wow, you really like to rub it in, don't you, Lord? And for 10 years, 
He's going around calling himself father of many nations. The Lord calls him father of many nations. And his wife ain't even pregnant. I mean, she's past that stage. It's not possible in the natural. And in Romans 4, it tells us, it says that God is the God that calls things. He calls, he brings life into dead things. Sarah's womb. It was talking about Abraham. And it says He calls things that be not as though they be. Things that don't exist as though they exist. Speaking to a situation. God speaking to a situation. And you know, for ten years, it still didn't happen for Abraham. Until he really got a hold of some things and then it happened. God gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. When you find the Word of God for your desperate situation, be, believe it. Okay, it's not going to do any good to know the verse, quote the verse, but not believe it. Because now you're just going through a religious formula and this is not about a formula. But the Word of God has the power of God on the inside of it and that's why it has life-changing, altering power in it. And if we'll take it and we'll believe it, that's why it's so important to know your Word because it has it's all the difference. So that every situation you come up against, you know there's a verse for that. There's a promise for it. Call something that doesn't exist as though it did. Around this same time of all these stories, we had um, our car needed new tires. I was, I was now had, was working in, in Aspen, Colorado. We were doing hardwood floors and I would drive over the mountain and um, mountain passes all the time. Snow season's coming and my tires are bald. Now we didn't have money for tires. And so we began, I, I went out to the vehicle, I looked at my tires, and I realized that they're very bald, and so I put in my petition, my request to the Lord. Lord, we need more tires for this vehicle. We need new tires. Tires that'll get us through the winter time so that I can continue to work and that I can drive around safely. So Father, I ask You, You said. What am I doing? I'm finding the Word for my situation. I said, You said that whatever I ask You in Your name, in, in the name of Jesus, that You would give to me. So I believe that and I receive that. I believe that You meet all my needs just like You promised. And that I lack no good thing. And tires right now would be a really good thing, Lord. So I thank You for the tires that I have for my mountaineer. Thank You, Lord, for, for watching over Your Word to perform it and that You accomplish these things and that this is possible and that I have a great set of four new tires on my vehicle. Now your natural eye looks back down there at those bald tires and goes, you're a liar. You're silly. You're goofy. But the spiritual eye sees the promise fulfilled. Sees tires on my vehicle. Sees what doesn't ex exist as though it exists and says it's so. So I got into the vehicle, started the vehicle, lifted my hand said, thank you Lord for these new tires. They're awesome. And then I drove to work on those bald tires. And the weeks clicked by and the weeks clicked by and I'm putting on a lot of miles and we're getting closer to winter. And it used to be that you know I would come out maybe once or twice a week and as I'm getting into the vehicle, I'd see my tires and they'd remind me, thank you Lord for my new set of tires. Well, it got bad enough and bald enough, the wires were starting to show, and it's now to the point where every time I'm getting in the car, I'm saying, thank you, Lord. These tires look great on this thing. These new tires that You've given to me. I take possession of them. I've received them. They're mine. You're so 
faithful with your word. I believe it's mine. It's, it's here. I'm driving on new tires. In the spirit I am, right? In the natural, they're still balder than ever. And I started actually having to use my faith. I, I began to say, all right, Lord, um, thank you for my new tires. And I thank you too that you protect me and keep these tires from having a blowout. The ones that are still on the vehicle. Time clicks by and we're now getting real close to first snow. And someone comes up to me that was just visiting our house and, and he pulls out a stack of cash, sets it on the table in front of me, and he says, here, go get yourself some new tires for your vehicle. Now, we hadn't told anyone what we were doing. It was just between the Lord and us. So, I'm thinking, well, how much, how much is, it, is this? I counted out it's $601. I called Big O Tires. That's what they have out west. It's a company. Big O Tires. Called them up and said, I, I need a pair of tires. So they quoted me something, you know, like $1,200, something ridiculous. I said, I, I need, I have 800, uh, eight, did I say 600? I have $600 here is what I have to put new tires on. What can you put me in for that? He looks, well, tell you what, we've got this one set and they're actually all terrains and which is what I needed for mountain snowy roads. And he said, uh, we could do that for $600. We'll bring the price to $600 even. So I went down there and, and they put on the new tires. And I went and spent the extra dollar on a cup of coffee and rejoiced in the goodness of God. See, do you think I would have gotten those tires if somewhere along the way I would have given up and said, I guess it doesn't work that way. See, I've tried this for three months and I still have got those bald wire showing tires on my vehicle. Clearly it doesn't work this way. And maybe you think, well, yeah, but if you drive until your tires are bald enough, finally someone's going to have mercy on you and buy you tires. Really? Do you go around looking at people's tires going, maybe I should buy their tires? No. Unless the Lord would tell you to, then I believe you'd do that, right? But that's not what is what we go around doing and looking for. So what were the three things? Desperation, find the Word of God concerning your situation, and then release your faith by speaking that Word and believing it and declaring it and acting upon it in your situation. Remember the story of Jesus? Um, when he, His first miracle, He turned water into wine. And they run out of wine at this wedding and, and his mom comes to him and says, hey, they're out of wine. You know, I guess do something about it. And he's like, well, what's this got to do with you and I? And basically refused to help is what was implied. And so what she does is one of the main keys to miracles. And I want you to get a hold of it. She turns to the servants and she says, hey, just do whatever he tells you. Key to miracles. Do whatever He says. Do whatever He says. And so, you know the story. Pretty soon Jesus says, go fill up the pots with water. Well, that's ridiculous. You're going to get us fired, Jesus. Serve water for wine. No, they did what He said. And what was the result? Man, the best wine of the, of the wedding. Do what He says. Did you know that this will also work what we're talking about tonight? Finding the Word. Standing on it. This will also work for your wants. You know, we're quick to believe the Word. Well, yeah, those are for needs. But what about your wants? 
Does God care about your desires? Yes, He does. I got some scriptures for you. Listen. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Does that cover once? Yeah, I lack nothing. Definitely all your needs. Psalms 34 says, those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Any good thing. Well, that would cover a whole bunch of wants, wouldn't it? Now, I'll throw in a disclaimer here. Some of you need to stop being so selfish with your wants. And if you'll start putting first things first in your life, you'll find that the wants get automatically filled. And you don't have to focus so much on the wants. I mean, there's Scripture for it. Seek first the Kingdom of God and all these things, right, will be added to you. Listen to this promise. Truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by My Father in heaven. What would happen if we would read this as though we'd never read it or heard of this before? And like read it with a believing ear. Anything I ask for, Lord? Wow! John 14 says, Whatever you ask in My name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Did you know it glorifies Jesus when you ask for things and they happen? If you ask Me anything in My name, I will do it, He said. Anything. John 15, If you remain in Me and My words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Of course, we know the Scripture that says delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. I think that's twofold. One is He'll place the desire in your heart and then He'll give you the thing you desire. Why would He place the desire in your heart? Well, because when you keep His Word in you, you remain in Him and He remains in you. The things that He wants are automatically now things that you want. And you go from having lazy, selfish desires to actually having godly wants and desires. Is this alright? Some of you look at me like, I'm not sure. Check this one out. In John 16, Truly I tell you, anything you ask the Father in My name, He will give you. Until now you've asked for nothing in My name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. We know Jesus said, seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. Knock and it will be opened. Even your wants given to you. Do we have time for another story? I'll try to make it quick. I know we're going a little bit later than normal, but is there normal with the Lord? Last week was short, right? So we're going to use last week's extra time and add it on this week. Is that all right? In 2012, now we had moved here in 2011. The Lord had given us a word to come here. And I could tell you many, many, many stories about miracles and His provision in us obeying that word and coming. Things like uh, the night before we left, not, we had everything loaded, but we had no money to come, no gas money. And someone puts $1,100 in our hands and that covered the gas bill to move all of our stuff here. Things like we didn't even have a place to live once we'd gotten here. Only like one or two families knew we were coming. And when we hit St. Louis moving from Colorado to here, I got a call and someone says, hey, are you still coming? Yes. Well, do you have a place to stay? No. Well, my mom has a cottage in this camp meeting campground, which is right across the street, that you could stay in until you find a house. 
Oh, great. You know, and the Lord just met our needs time and time and time again. And there was days that it looked like it wasn't going to happen. But then at the last moment, the miracle would take place. You know, Peter never walked on water until he did. I mean, profound, deep, I know. Some of you will get that. He never walked on water until he actually stepped out and it's either sink or walk. It was at the moment that he needed it. It wasn't before. The water didn't freeze. and you know, I can walk on water too. It just has to be frozen. And the thing is, is, I can look at it and tell whether it's walkable or not. Well, Peter looked at it and it doesn't look walkable, so he's not going by what he's seeing in the natural. He's looking at something else. And he is walking on the Word of Jesus because Jesus had invited him. Come. And so that is how he steps out and walks. Well, we, we move in here in 2011. In 2012, things were still very, very difficult for us. We were trying to recover from everything, all the financial collapse that we'd had in Colorado. And um, in 2012, coming up on Christmas, we had no Christmas gifts because we had... Um, didn't have any money. The thing was, is I was working for this guy that was weeks and weeks and weeks behind on paying me. Kept saying, okay, yeah, I'll be able to pay you on Friday and Friday to roll around and whatever. He hadn't got his money and so therefore I wasn't getting my money. And so, I mean, we, we were in a bad way. And bills were now turning red for us. And so, um, we're on the way to Wednesday night prayer or Wednesday night service. And um, I hear Adrian telling Carson that the reason there's no gifts under the tree is because mom and dad are hiding them in the closet until Christmas morning and then we're going to put them out. Now, we, there's no gifts because we don't have any gifts, right? Alright, I said, son, that's not true. There's the reason we don't have any gifts is because we haven't had any money to buy any gifts at all. Oh, really? This is Wednesday. Christmas is the following Tuesday. And so I said, here's what we can do. I believe that the Lord cares about even the things that we want. And we would like to have Christmas gifts. I said, what, what, let's, let's all agree. What would we like from the Lord for Christmas? So we decided, I think, two gifts each. We, yeah, but I'm saying the gifts. We had decided two gifts. We had decided that, okay, two gifts for each one of the children. Let's ask the Lord for that. And we need $2,000 to be able to pay all the bills that have been turning red on us. And um, so we drive into church. We put our request in. This, the $2,000 is for needs, but all the gifts, they're just wants. You understand? And so we prayed and we asked the Lord. We, we found, I said, okay, what's some Scripture we can stand on? We quoted two, three different Scriptures. Said these apply to our situation. This is what we're going to stand on. So we asked the Lord for $2,000, two gifts a person. And then we said, okay, now we're going to thank Him for it. So let's thank Him as though we actually have it in our car right now. So we did. We praised the Lord. We thanked Him. We're not trying to work something up. We just know this is how this works. Either that or the Lord's a liar. And we know He's not a liar, so we've got it. So we get to church, and after church, um, lady behind us, during worship, she says, hey, how old are your children? So we tell her, and we go, why? Well, during worship, the Lord told me to uh, get them each a Christmas gift. Oh, really? Okay. And um, so, after the service, someone comes up and, gives us, I think, $50. Says, hey, um, 
here, I want you guys to have fifty dollars for for Christmas gifts for your kids. Oh, thank you, you know. And and this was on Wednesday. We had a Christmas party on Friday, I think, the church Christmas party. And at the church Christmas party, um, people just kept coming up to us and giving us things and giving us gifts. Marie, you were one of them. And uh, <laughs> by the time Christmas morning rolled around, we had something like six or seven gifts per person. It was incredible. We had more than the $2,000 we'd asked the Lord for. All of our needs were met. Our wants were met. And He was just good that way. And I said something. We, we blessed. We thanked the Lord. We recognized that He was the giver. He's the one who put this into people's hearts. And then we, I made a declaration. I said, never again will we be in this situation where we can't buy our own children Christmas gifts. Because Lord, You said our words can work for us. And this is what I'm saying. Never again. The next Christmas, we, um, we're in a different place financially. We could easily afford to buy Christmas gifts for, I mean, it wouldn't have been extravagant, but we could buy several gifts for each one of the kids. And uh, late, well, sometime in the fall, we get this letter and someone says uh, in the letter, hey, um, we'd like to bless your family. They were anonymous. We'd like to bless your family with Christmas gifts. Could you make a list of seven things per person? of something that you want, something that you need, something to wear, some shoes, and list the seven things per person. No budget, nothing. Uh, how do we know what we should do, you know? And so we, we pray about, Lord, you know, we don't know who it is. We can't go talk to them. And, and when you say a list of seven things, you know, maybe they're used to shopping really cheap. Maybe it's expensive. I mean, it's a blank check. What do we do, Lord? We don't want to abuse their generosity. What should we do? So the Lord gave us some wisdom on how to answer it. So we just made a list of things with in varying degrees of expense for each item. And um, returned the letter and I wrote a letter and I put it in there and I said, you know, we, there was someone that we were to give it to and they would give it to whoever it was. And um, by the way, I heard of that happening in the congregation this year. Um, somebody was doing that for others. Anyway, um, I wrote a letter and I said, you know, I understand sometimes when we set out to do something, we have good intentions, but then circumstances change and maybe we can't do what we had promised to do at one time. So we completely release you from any obligation, any promise, anything like that. If, if, if that's you, that's fine. We don't ever need to hear about it again. Well, <laughs> day before Christmas, was it? They show up with... We're thinking a list of seven things are going to choose something on that list. They show up with everything that we'd put into the list. I mean, everything, plus some boxes. We, this wasn't even in the list. Boxes of groceries. I mean, we, had, we just had more gifts and more blessing, more than we could possibly have asked the Lord for. And good stuff, expensive stuff. And it really, really marked us. And I was overwhelmed and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, why? We could have easily bought our own gifts this year. This wasn't a need. It wasn't like... And the Lord said, do you remember what you said last year? What did I say? And He brought it back to my memory. You said never again will you be in that situation. And I'm showing you, you're right. 
And, and since that time, you know, the Lord's been very good to us financially. We've always been able to buy. And this year for Christmas, we went Colorado and went skiing, right? How good is that? But my point is, is I'm talking once. And I'm talking about you finding the Word of God concerning your life. Do you know what that's caused us? I remember looking at each other and saying, because we were so overwhelmed by God's goodness, we looked at each other and the thing we came away with I don't even remember what most of the gifts were because the gifts weren't the point. We came away with a desire to do something. And that was, you know how that made us feel. How overwhelmed by God's goodness that made us feel. We want to do that for others. We want to be the giver in these situations. We want to be the ones, Lord, to to bless people like that. And see, Who got the glory? We don't even know who the people were behind it. The Lord got the glory. And it marked us. It marked our children. We've we've talked about it for years. About how the Lord was so gracious to us. So kind to us. We never knew any single person to thank. You know, How do you thank someone when you don't know who it is? So you thank the Lord and you say, Lord, You bless them. You bring the increase to them. You prosper them. And I'm going to close with this. Do you remember, it's found in, if you want to read about it later, in Luke 17, verses 12-15. through 15. Do you remember the story of the ten lepers? Jesus is passing from one town to another. These ten guys stand at a distance and they call out to Jesus and ask for mercy and they ask for help. And so He tells them, He says, go show yourself to the priest. And the Old Testament law that was part of the cleansing process was is you had to let the priest know the priest would actually come to you outside of the city and check you and make sure that you were clean and cleansed and didn't have leprosy anymore, whatever it was. And then you were allowed to do certain rituals, cleansing things to come into the temple. But he tells them, go to the priest and show yourself. And they're still full of leprosy. What do they have? They're desperate. But they have the Word of God concerning their situation. Go. And it says, as they went, as they were on the way, they were cleansed. I don't know how many steps they took in obedience before the cleansing happened, before the miracle happened, where the leprosy left. But they had the Word of God and they were obeying it. They were putting it into action, putting it into practice. And they're on the way to the priest and they realize we've been cleansed. I mean, you'd probably want to do a jig and dance and shout, all these things. But one guy, He turns around and he comes back. The other guys went on to the priest. They had a healing. They had their healing. But this guy comes and he comes before Jesus and he thanks Him. And this is the last part of this. Is thank the Lord for what He's done for you. Thanksgiving will open you up to receiving more of God's goodness in your life. When you're grateful for what He's done for you already, it will absolutely position you to... to, to be the recipient of more of God's goodness. So this guy comes to Jesus and he, and he thanks Him and He blesses Him. And the end result for this guy is he was not only healed, but Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. That means the missing parts that he'd been missing from leprosy were now restored. Like the other guys, they had leprosy. They were cured of leprosy, but it doesn't say that they were whole. If their nose was missing, it was still missing. But this guy was made whole. Because he was thankful and he received more 
of God's goodness. So we believe that God is a God of miracles. And so I want to challenge each one of you, expect miracles. Anticipate the miracles. Ask for the impossible. Look for ways that the Lord can be glorified by doing what man cannot. Ask the Lord, how can I be a part of a miracle? I'm not talking about for you, I'm talking about for someone else. There's a lot of miracles that have happened in this body over the last several months in finances that I've gotten to witness going this way. That has all been in secret. People don't know. But I know it was a miracle. Father, I thank You for Your promises. Thank You that You are faithful to watch over Your Word to perform it. Thank You, Lord, that You haven't ever let one of Your promises go unfulfilled. Lord, I ask that You continue to stir us in our heart of Your promises, of the things that You've said. That when we come into situations where we need Your help, where we need Your miracle working power, Lord, remind us of Your promises for that particular situation. Stir in our heart the rhema Word, the Word that is for us personally, individually for our situation. Lord, I ask that You would be glorified in these moments. Lord, give us the eyes to see in the spiritual realm what is not possible in the natural realm. Lord, give us the courage, the faith to ask for it. I know that faith comes from Your Word, Father, so Lord, remind us of Your Word so that we can have the faith. And I thank You for this. I thank You, Lord, that You're watching for someone to take You at Your Word. That You're watching for someone to be a conduit of Your goodness to mankind. And I bless you for it in Jesus' name. And amen. amen. Well, worship team, you can come and the rest of you can are part of the worship team. You know that, right? So your part is to rejoice and to bless the Lord. Thank Him for what He's done for you. The fact that you have breath in your life and a new opportunity for today is something to thank Him for. It's something to rejoice about. There's people that didn't have that opportunity. But you and I have it. So let's be grateful for it. So can we be grateful standing? <laughs> Hallelujah. This song is kind of repetitive. It's one I wrote, but it's a good repeat. It's a good remind yourself that uh, when stuff comes your way, it's like, wait a minute, I put my trust in God. <laughs> wait a minute, my trust isn't in these other things, it's in God. So this goes right along with the message. But if, if we sing it like three times through or whatever, it's okay. It's okay to repeat things, right? Oops. Make sure everything else is on here. There it is. Okay.
Father, we thank you for your word, your eternal word. Thank you that you watch over it to accomplish it. Thank you for the good things that you've done for us in this house. More than we can possibly count. If we put them all together, Lord, we'd be here for weeks telling about your goodness. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you for your mercy that's new every morning. Thank you for your love that you've given to us. You know, all that God has given, while He certainly has given it to you, He wants to move through you. And that you not be a lake or a reservoir of God's goodness, but that you be a river of His goodness. That which comes in goes out. You can't give something you don't have. So make sure that you are grounded and rooted in His love for you. And what His goodness is for you. So that you can give that to others. Lord, I'm asking you to work in every heart here. Every heart listening by the internet. And Father, in places where we have hoarded your goodness, where we've been selfish with it, where we've only thought of ourselves, that you arrest us and that you bring it to our attention, that you convict us by your Spirit, that we might be the river that you've called us to be, that you might be able to freely move through us without, without us plugging up the line. I thank you for this, Lord. I believe you'll do it. Places where we've done it. That you'll, you'll arrest us. You'll show us. And we commit, Lord, to doing as you, as you prompt us. As you give us adjustments, we'll change to be more and more like you in every way. Thank you for it. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for truth. of the Lord is real, is tangible, and you can take it with you. When you go out those doors tonight, don't you dare think that now I'm going into something else. No, His presence goes with you. In the atmosphere that's here, you carry it with you. And when you come into rooms, people have peace. In, they don't know why. But it's because the Lord is there because you're there. To go with the expectation of that. Expectation of miracles. Expectation of God's goodness. Of Him confirming His word as you tell about His goodness. Hallelujah. You know, I believe that the Lord doesn't do things by accident, you know. He does things on purpose. I very, very rarely ever ask John to sing a song, any particular song. I tell him to pray and obey the Lord, and then that's what I do. I ask the Lord to give me what to say, what to preach, and that's what he does. And so we're not, we're not 
telling each other what the other one has to be doing. A lot of times he doesn't have a clue what I'm going to do. Most times he doesn't. I mean, sometimes he could guess because I preach long series, right? But outside of that, I never tell him what I'm doing. And if you've been here for any length of time and have been paying attention, you notice how the songs go right with the word the Lord gave us that night. Again and again and again. And the Lord uses John and I to move this way in this house. But did you know that in the same way that He he uses us to work together, that He'll use you to work together when you come together. Don't just come to church and think, well, I'm going to observe what the Lord is doing. No, come to be a part of it. Because each one of you has a part, a portion that the Lord wants to move through you to touch someone that night, to do something, to be an answer, to be a blessing, to be a word of encouragement. Tell someone something that you appreciate about them, right? To build each other up. That's literally what the Word says, right? Come together and encourage each other because the days are evil. And so what you witness on a weekly basis here, the worship songs and the message fitting together like hand and glove in the same way you fit like a hand and a glove in God's plan for that night in this house. So come with that expectation. Look for ways to how can I leave God's mark? What's His mark? Goodness. Mercy. Kindness. Gentleness. All of those fruits of the Spirit. Alright, be blessed as you go. Love on each other. We have a time of fellowship downstairs. There's food, all kinds of of good things. We're so glad that you're here. We celebrate your presence here with us tonight. Thanks for coming. You know, you're, you're so important to this beautiful family of Church of the Word. And when you're not here, we miss you. Just so you know that. So when you show up, it makes us all glad. Amen. You know, I love the book of Psalms so much because David was such a transparent kind of character, wasn't he? When he blew it, he let you know. <laughs> And Psalms 34 is so in your face like that. He was running from Saul, and he literally ran into the enemy's town of the Philistines. And he got there, and they all realized who he was, and the king threw him in the prison. And he had to act like an absolute idiot for the king to think he was a madman and throw him out. It's pretty cool. So I'm I'm thinking the very moment he got outside that gate, he said... I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be at my mouth. Can you imagine him saying that? He was so happy to be free and delivered. And that's what this psalm is all about. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. 
The humble shall hear it thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together. He wanted everybody to understand the great deliverance that the Lord had given him. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me of all my fears. Isn't that a great promise to hold on to? The poor man cried and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around and about them that fear him and he delivers them. Are you sensing all the promises in this particular psalm about deliverance? It doesn't matter if you get yourself into problems or circumstances just put you there, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. God says, just look to me, trust me, seek me. And he said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man that trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, reverence him, honor him. Saints, for there is no lack to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want or lack any good thing. Come, children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The word of God will teach you that. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. Say, that's me. You're righteous, that's you. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saves they who have a repentant spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. We don't like to hear that. But, everybody say but. But the Lord delivers them out of all of their trouble. That's our promise. The Lord redeems the soul of the servants, his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. What a great psalm of promises from the Lord. No matter what the circumstances, lift your eyes, seek the Lord, and he promises you. He will deliver you out of it all. Let's all stand together. That's shouting hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus stuff right there. Amen. Amen. Check. Hallelujah. Yeah. You know, she said that's hallelujah shouting stuff. I don't hear a whole lot of shout. <laughs> Come on now. Are we in church tonight? What do we do in church? Hallelujah. All right. Don't you hate pushy worship leaders? It's... Okay, here we go.
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Glory to God. Jesus, we just put you in remembrance as King of kings and Lord of lords, the great and mighty God, our Savior and Deliverer. We bless you. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget not all his benefits, all the things he has done for you personally. Put him in remembrance. Make it real in your life today. He has forgiven you of all your iniquity, healed you of all diseases. He has saved your life from the, the destruction of hell and translated you from the kingdom of hell into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven. He has crowned you with loving kindness and tender mercy, and he fills your mouth with the good word of God that renews your youth like the eagles. And the promises go on and on and on. And all we can do as the body of Christ in this place tonight is lift our hands and say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You truly are King of kings, Lord of lords, my Savior, my deliverer, my healer, my everything, my everything. I put you in remembrance of the mighty God that you are to me, to me. Let's turn your neighbor and say, is he your mighty God? Or ask him, what has Jesus done to you today? Something today or something this week. Why don't you give a mini testimony to somebody next to you? And 5K in the school will stay in, in the class tonight. 5K doesn't go out. But let's just put Jesus in remembrance to somebody. Share the goodness of the Lord. Amen. Well, good evening again, everyone. Glad to see you all with us tonight. We'd like to welcome you if you're here for the very first time. Could you raise your hands so we can all see? Welcome them, welcome them, church family. We're glad you're with us tonight. We trust you're going to be glad also. All right. Um, if you need a cash envelope for your giving, you can raise your hand. The ushers will see that you get one. If you're giving by credit card, please fill out all of the blanks. If you're writing a check, you can make it out to CWI. And we're going to return the tithe to the Lord tonight. You know, the Lord considers the tithe, or the tenth, because that's what it is, it's a tenth. He considers that the holy portion, and we know it belongs to him. So when we do this, we do this a, a regular thing, you know, each week. But I just want to encourage you not to allow a careless or um, no big deal attitude to creep in as we do this. Because it is uh, not something we just go through the motions and so we can check a box. You know, tithing should be an expression of a grateful heart. And it should demonstrate that you believe and understand that God is your source. And you know, last week I read out of Deuteronomy 26 how they were supposed to come with their first fruits and their tithes and they were to, um, to present it in a certain way to the Lord. They were to remember and rejoice. Remember that the Lord was their deliverance from suffering and rejoice in all the good things that he had done for them. Um, if you study that out more, you'll see that this is in more than one place throughout scripture, this remember and rejoice, rejoice thing. And it's really, it's the heart posture that God wants us to have when we come to return the tithe to him. 
you know, I think it's really, it, it just indicates that he wants us to live with an, an awareness that he's your source, that he's the deliverer, he's the helper. All good things come from him. We're to live with that awareness. And I wanted to point out to you, I know you know this story well, but in Genesis chapter 14, I wanted to point this out that, you know, I see this in this story, in the very first place where we have mention of tithing, where, you know, Abram actually, let's back up. So we know the setting, four kings against five went out to battle, and the one set of kings won, and they went in and, and they were victorious over Sodom, and Abram's nephew, Lot, lived in Sodom. And so they captured Lot and all of his things, all of the food it said, all the people, and they were part of their captivity. And so someone went and told Abram about this, and Abram said, we ain't going to have that. And so he gathered his men, just a couple hundred of them, and they went after this set of kings, and they were victorious. They recovered Lot, they recovered all the people beyond Lot, so weren't you glad that you were hooked with Lot at that time? I mean, it pays to be hooked with the right people. And uh, so he had this great victory. And in verse 18 of chapter 14 in Genesis, says this, says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. How many know that typifies the communion supper? He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. What was Abram's response? He said, yeah, you know what? I believe that. That is so. And he gave him a tenth of everything. Uh, his response to this, he recognized, hey, I wouldn't be victorious if it wasn't for God Most High. And so he remembered, and he tithes. So we see that. And then if you keep reading, it says, the king of Sodom said to Abram, well, let me back up. If you read in the beginning of chapter 13, you'll see that Abram was very wealthy. said he was very wealthy, not only in livestock, but silver and gold. So here's this wealthy guy, and the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people, but keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand have I sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. So the point he wanted to make is, I recognize my riches come from God. My goodness comes from God. He didn't want anybody else to be able to say, well, yeah, but I gave you all the spoils. So, you know, so just, again, bringing out this idea of when you bring the tithe, you're remembering what God's delivered you from, you're remembering why you're victorious and rejoicing in the good things that he's brought to you, that he's done for you. So let's return the tithe tonight with that attitude. Let's remember, what has God done for me? What has he delivered me from? Are you grateful for the goodness in, in your life? Are you recognizing that anything good, it came from him and he wants to do more goodness in your life if you'll let him? if you'll align with him. So take a hold of your tithe, your offerings, and let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful to you tonight that you are God most high. And Lord, we acknowledge you and recognize you as our source. We know you're the provider. And with you, 
we can do anything. Without you, we can do nothing. And so we just are so grateful. and We thank you for the way you've delivered us time and time again, the way that when we cry out to you, you answer. And, Lord, we know you are our helper. And you are, your name is a strong tower to us. You are a place of refuge and safety. So we recognize, Lord, that the good things we have in our life, it comes from you. We just thank you, Lord, that you have a heart to bless us, a heart to pour out your abundance on us, that you have a heart to open the windows of heaven on our behalf. So we return the tithe as part of our worship, and we thank you for all the blessings and all the good things in our life. In the name of Jesus, and amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets. And the people will give unto the Lord. All right, a couple things to go over in our announcements. Uh, I wanted to announce that we do have our donation summaries uh, printed off and available. Um, for those of you that are here part of us regularly, you know we give out the end-of-year summaries once a year, every January. So those are available at the back. We have some volunteers that are going to be helping us pass those out. Tomorrow night is Youth and Young Adult Impact here at the church at 6. Uh, next Sunday, so January 16th, is all team leaders, is a team leaders meeting at the church here. Uh, next Sunday, the 16th, at 6 p.m. You can mark your calendars for Monday, February 7th at 7. Uh, the Gale brothers are going to be here having a cup of joe, if you've heard that term or know what that is. There's um, two brothers, one is running for governor of PA, and one is running for the U.S. Senate. So if you'd like to come out and uh, make a more educated vote when that time comes, you can come hear their heart February 7th. Uh, a men's breakfast, Saturday, January 22nd at 8 a.m. Is there a sign-up for that, Josh, or do you just need them to contact you if they're coming? There's usually a sign-up. Do we have one? <laughs> okay. If you think you're going to make it, reach out to Josh. We will work on getting a sign-up maybe by next week. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we have an LTS graduation tonight, so Kelly, I'm going to hand the mic to you. So tonight, we have the privilege of recognizing two of our graduates from the Leadership Training School, which is a Bible school here that we offer at the church. So I would like to ask Elizabeth Hess and Bella Lavanese to come on up. So these two ladies have completed the five required semesters to become a graduate of the LTS Bible School, which in total is two and a half years of school. And we meet um, once a month on a Saturday morning and then a Monday evening, and that's, we follow semesters like a school year. And, so the, and then the rest is self-study. So I, these ladies didn't know this, but I'm going to ask them to just share a little bit about how their life has changed in this last two and a half years from the time they started leadership training school until tonight. So we'll start with you, Elizabeth. Um, well, for one thing, I've just grown so much in my faith and um, just had received so many teachings um, about things that I never really knew before. Um, so grew in knowledge, grew in faith. 
um, but also in discipline, um, in just those habits that help you um, grow in your character and grow in the Lord, um, studying the Bible diligently. Um, and then, yeah, taking time to seek him and his word. Um, for me, it would be definitely just making my faith my own rather than living off my parents' faith. Um, I began to dug in more for myself, and it definitely has made a huge impact on my life. And Bella is the youngest student that we've had to date to um, complete or to start and to complete leadership training school. She started when well, you were 12, right? So she was 12 years old, and she um, went all the way up to her freshman year of high school and graduated as a freshman. So that's the youngest that we've had. So I would like to present you with um, your certificate. That's Bella. I almost said diploma, but it's not quite like that. And we have a devotional for you. And then I would like to invite your advisor to come on up, and we're going to pray over you, and then we have some flowers for you at the end. I'd like to speak the word of God over you as I watched you grow these past five semesters. You really exemplified Second Peter chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. And that's that character development that you all have responded to, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust but also for this reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance. <laughs> Are you, is that ringing a bell to all of you? Yes, both of you. To perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So, Father, we just thank you for the faithfulness, the perseverance, the beautiful love for your word and for the knowledge of your word and the brotherly kindness that have knit their hearts together in this LTS group, Father, and supporting one another, moving in great unity. We just ask for your mighty, abounding blessing and favor and grace upon both of their lives as they move forward now. This is a, this is a landmark for you. It's an end of one thing, but God's got great things in store for you. So take all that you have gotten, all that you learned, let it remain and let the seed continue to grow. And Father, we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 <laughs> Let's give them a hand. Congratulations, Bella and Elizabeth. Now, how many 
verses total did you have to memorize as part of LTS? 60? 60. Wow, okay. And so uh, for the sermon tonight. (laughs) You guys sure jumped to conclusions awful fast around here. Maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention. Did you talk about that? Okay. Down in the lobby, you'll find an update on the uh, 1040 window from the Mirabellas, so be sure and pick one up and read about what's happening there. Aren't you grateful that we serve a God that watches over His promises to accomplish them? That He is the God of the yes and the amen. And we were singing about that, right? Some people don't see God that way, though. They see God as... God of the promise of maybe, but probably not, right? But we know, if you come to know Him personally, we know that He says His promises are yes, and we say the amen through Him is how one translation puts it. And I like that, because it is only through the Word of God that we have the ability to believe in the first place. 